does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hey, what's happening? It is a Thursday, and might I add, and I've said this all week, broken record, I realize, it is a perfect Thursday. Absolutely perfect outside. You guys ever been to Denver, Colorado? Have not, no. Eddie? I will be going there in September, so in a couple weeks. What takes you to Denver? Uh, My girlfriend's dad lives out there now, so we're going out there to visit him in three weeks, have a little fun, go to a Rockies game. Go up in the mountains a little bit. Should be a blast. This is exactly what the weather's like in Denver, Colorado, which is why people live there. Like 360 days a year. No humidity, perfectly sunny. Absolutely spectacular. And here's the thing. It's what I love about it. On this Thursday, a day in which Kevin Bowen's going to join us in 30 minutes, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, in an hour and a half, and at 2.30, one of those who is going to be participating in, as we always call it, the Super Bowl of drag racing, Matt Hagan of NHRA, joins us at 2.30 today. But the predominant conversation is going to be about, and our moratorium lasted a day. Because I said, we're not going to say the name Jonathan Taylor in the overriding narrative and opinion from most of our listening audience, many of which I texted with last night, which I appreciate, um, were saying, you can mention his name if we have some sort of clarity on the situation with him. And not unlike the weather today where it is absolutely perfectly clear outside, we now have a little more clarity on the situation with Jonathan Taylor in terms of why he's on the physically unable to perform list, Chris Ballard meeting with the media yesterday, uh, and we'll get into all of that. There's a lot to hear about and a lot to scrutinize. I have my own thoughts <clears throat> on where Chris Ballard, I thought, I, for lack of a better phrase, perf- you know, performed well, not that it was like some sort of an audition, presented, presented himself well, but also I think painted himself a little bit into a corner. And we'll get into all of that. But before we do, let's begin with this. Jimmy Cook, how are you? How was your Wednesday? Oh, it was great. Great Roll, rolling through. I don't know. It was fine. It was it was, it was uneventful. Not really. No. Talk to you a little bit. You did playing on the show, which which automatically makes anyone's win. Exactly. It, it was it was automatically a great Wednesday in, in that regard. Uh, interrupted Eddie. I know that he went to a concert last night. And yeah, I Eddie. What concert him. did we go to? Uh, it was Five Seconds of Summer again. Uh, it's my girlfriend's favorite band. They were coming through here second consecutive year, and uh, there is a uh, question of whether or not they will be going on tour, and if so. I, or a tour again, and if so, how long it'll be? So, so wait, the name of the band is Five Seconds of Summer, or Correct. Five Seconds a Summer. Five Seconds of Summer, and they are from where? Australia. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, good day. Did you have Vegemite? <laughs> no, I did, did not you, did have you drink Vegemite. Fosters? What'd you say? Did you drink a Fosters? No. You know the thing about the band. I can tell you this right now, and I don't know this. <laughs> I don't know much about anything, but I do know this. Uh, if a band is from Australia, Eddie, and you see them, it is always guaranteed that once they leave, they do come back. Just so you know. That's true with everything in Australia. That's a boomerang joke. Thanks for your assistance there. <laughs> I got it. I just didn't think it was funny. No, you were looking at me like, what in the world are you No, doing? I got it. Have I just think it was funny. No, I have not. I haven't traveled you outside of the United States. You know that if you flush a toilet in Australia, it actually rotates in the opposite direction? <laughs> That's true of anything in the southern equator. South of the equator. Did you know that? In the southern hemisphere? I did, I did not. I feel like I've heard it once before and then I thought it was away for a rainy I day. was... <laughs> 
I was on not on not literally on an airplane. But I was set to go to my my college roommate and buddy from high school, Marcus Walton, lives in Auckland, New Zealand. Grew up here, and he had a. Um, isn't um, isn't that where Dixon's from? Scott Dixon. Correct. He was born in Brisbane, Australia, but was raised in Auckland, New Zealand. Correct. And so, <clears throat> Scott McLaughlin also from New Zealand. My buddy Marcus, like six years ago, for his job, they said, "Do you want to take a one year transfer to New Zealand?" to start up the office there and he's like you know what why not and he and his wife actually it's been more than that now anyway he's never come back so he's unlike the boomerang he's unlike your band he was down there and he loves it so i was going to auckland to visit him and then to australia to visit my buddy michael and had a three-week trip planned in 2020 and literally the day before i was to drive to the airport rudy gobert tested positive and the world shut down Australia was the first country that was like, nobody's coming in. So to think that you could have been stranded out in Australia. I would, I, you know what? I probably would have been, right? For a long time. For a long time. Yes. That's a lot of Outback Steakhouses. A lot of, <laughs> eat, lot of eating Outback Steakhouses. How would Shannon survive without you? Oh, probably would have had just a fine time. <laughs> she would have been more than happy of me not being a boomerang. No question about it. Um, let's get into this. Yesterday, Chris Ballard met with the media and discussed the situation with Jonathan Taylor. And that was the predominant part of the conversation. Obviously, he meets every year with the media to discuss the roster as it's finalized or the last tweaks of the roster. But whenever you have an all-pro level running back that is in the middle of a contract dispute and situation, it is going to be the predominant part of the conversation. And... I thought a lot about this last night. Somebody asked me, I was at the gym, and I got a text, and somebody said, hey, I want to know what you think about the Ballard situation. Hey, you, were you actually uh, working out at the gym? We, I can't remember if it was last week where somebody called in. They said Zach, they, Zach called in, so I usually yeah. just hang out in the cafe. Yeah. Uh, actually, were we on the treadmill this time? or the I did elliptical? the treadmill. I did the treadmill, and then I did uh, my buddy Bob, who's the trainer there, stretches me. It's a 45-minute stretch. It's brutal, man. Brutal. I'm telling you, like... You can actually hear things popping. It's kind of uncomfortable. I'll take the high road and not say anything inappropriate after that one. (laughs) Well done. Um, No, like I I have very tight hamstrings, Eddie. I'm not. Listen, I'm very comfortable with my masculinity. I have very tight hips. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I won't say anything either. Jimmy, anything you want to add about your tight? I'm all right. I'm good. The flexibility of Jimmy Cook. So, somebody texted me and said, "I want to know what you think about this," and I said, "Well, I'll let you know tomorrow at noon." Right. Partially as like the ultimate tease and partially because I wanted time to kind of think through all of it. And what I thought about was this. It is our job to opine, critique, and assess comments, rosters, everything else. I totally get that. And in addition to that, I have always felt that our job when we have this microphone is to be the voice for people that don't have that microphone. So when I'm watching a Colts game, when I'm watching a Pacers game, and something happens where I'm I'm thinking to myself, what, what was 25-year-old Jake yelling at the television out loud rhetorically that he wants the answer to? Why in the world did you make that substitution? Why did you go for it there on fourth down? Why is so-and-so not in the game? And so I do think that it is our responsibility to ask those questions and get those answers or open that dialogue for fans. 
That is the responsibility of this job. And I do think in addition to that, that with that responsibility can come like a bravada that becomes, that's like maple syrup. A little taste of it's fine, but if you try to have people drink it every day, they're going to get tired of it. So there are times in the past where I would have come on this show and absolutely been, and I will still at times go on this show and be extremely stern, direct, and vociferous in a hardline opinion that I can't see as anything other than that opinion to be the right one. This situation's different to me because I do see both sides of it. And I, th- I think the best tactic and approach and I apologize if people don't like it and aren't used to it, is to simply kind of diplomatically analyze both angles of it because it is one situation where there are, I believe, two corrects. And in addition to that, I think we live in a world where people are getting fatigued by constantly hearing about how what they think is wrong and what everything else is right. So Chris Ballard, with that said it would be easy for me to sit here and say, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like, how many years into it are we? How many years into it are we going to get before we got to reset again and be asked for patience and be told that we know, like, you, you, you guys don't understand. You don't get what I'm doing. You think you know all the answers. I know what it's like, and so I'm going to try to roll here with three receivers. I've got a quarterback that played 13 games in college, and I've given him seemingly no weapons, and I had the greatest quarterback in the history of football that I saw come in here and retire at the age of 29 because he had no weapons. So what are we doing? I could do that and probably be right, Jimmy. But I'm going to choose to try to take just a more diplomatic approach to it, okay? I thought Chris Ballard yesterday – And this is one thing where I give him a ton of credit. Chris Ballard, we have become accustomed to, in our line of work, Jimmy, being cynical, right? Oh, yeah. Like when a a GM or a head coach starts talking about a touchy subject, what is your immediate preconceived notion when they're about to sit down? Do you think to yourself... They're, I'm going to get all the answers here, or do you think that they're about to give you some PR spin? I'm about to watch a tightrope act. Correct. That's a very good way of saying it, right? Yep. Do you remember that one fella, that the the Nick Volinda fella? I, I, yes, I know it's not. It's longer than that. I can't remember the name he, he now, was, but yes, I do know a, who you're talking about. He was about. a big deal for five seconds one summer, right? Yes, Eddie? yeah. Right? The Grand Canyon, Niagara nice Falls, or something there. like that. That's, I can't remember what right. it was. Yes. That's right. And then you, you kind of never heard from him again. Um, but that's correct. And I will give Ballard credit because I think oftentimes Chris Ballard is pretty straightforward. And there have been times where you have thought to yourself, he's going to come out and lie and I'm not going to believe anything he says. And then he comes out and you're like, you know what? I think he's actually being pretty straightforward. And I thought yesterday was one of those. But in being straightforward, I think that he actually painted himself into a corner. And I think he, it is our job typically to question and devalue or delegitimize something that an executive says because you don't believe it. But sometimes they say something themselves that do it for you. And I'll give you an example. This was the highlight of the press conference yesterday. And credit to James Boyd because he's the one that asked the question. You always, when you're in a press conference, 
you know, it's always like, man, I'm the one that asked the question. They got like the million dollar soundbite. That's that's the sign of a good reporter, a good journalist. James Boyd, who you will hear, the audio dips a little bit, but you'll hear James's follow up. This is Chris Ballard when talking to James Boyd and discussing the hesitation or the thought process or the certainty, whichever way he was leaning on it, about paying big money or not paying big money to Jonathan Taylor. Chris Ballard yesterday with James Boyd's question, which is critically important because listen to the very end. I've said this all along. Like I didn't have, Quentin Nelson didn't have a problem playing a guard a lot of money, which other people don't either. Like you, when guys are having great seasons and great, have a chance to really help your football team? Absolutely. I mean, I, the running market is what it is, but look, great players are what they are too. So I, I think that all works. I think there's a... We won four games last year. We won four games. Okay. Here's what I heard from that. One could hear that, Jimmy, and say, Chris Ballard just called out Jonathan Taylor because he said, Jonathan Taylor's a great player, but even with him, we were a four-win team. Jonathan Taylor doesn't help me win games to the point that he merits getting paid the kind of money that a guy who helps me win games. That's how you could hear that. But here's how I heard it. Okay. How I heard it was, I'm willing to pay great players. I paid Quentin Nelson, who had multiple back surgeries and regressed last year, but had a big contract because I paid him and I was willing to extend him. I paid Shaquille Leonard, who had surgery because he had an ankle issue that turned into a back issue and missed games, even though he'd been an Ironman before that. But I paid him a big extension because he's a great player. I paid Naeem Hines, who was showed flashes of being a versatile player and did different things that we liked, and we were going to extend him, and I paid him, but then we ended up actually trading him. But I did pay him. Okay. I think Ryan Kelly, if I'm not mistaken, is probably one. There are a couple of others that we could put in this category. But then Chris Ballard at the end tried to checkmate and checkmated himself. Because what I heard him say there with, we won four games last year, was this. We won four games, and Jonathan Taylor wasn't even there for the vast majority of them. Yep. Meaning that the players that I opted to pay, the players that I selected as worthy, the payers, the players that I deemed as great players were themselves, in totality, worth four wins. Meaning, our roster's not very good. We're not a very good team. We were not good last year. And because we were not good last year, what he is trying to say is because we were not good last year, we have to look at the main pistons in the cylinder or, you know, the main pistons of the engine that were firing for us weren't firing enough. And what he admits in that soundbite is those main pistons were guys that he opted to pay, that he selected as being worth building your franchise around. And they won four games. So by his own admission, Chris Ballard there is saying he he is flawed in the way he built a roster. The roster is flawed, 
and the architect of it should be called into question because players were paid and extended because they were great players, but clearly it did not equate to a great team because they won four games. And last year, if you look at the better part of the season, Jonathan Taylor wasn't there for all of it. Quentin Nelson was. Chris Ballard was. Those are the guys that he actually indicted by his own words and not Jonathan Taylor. If I'm Jonathan Taylor's agent, that is 1,000% the case that I'm making. And listen, on the other hand with Jonathan Taylor, I thought, again, he tried to make one point and in some effect, it may have come back to hurt him. And that's when Jonathan Taylor, when it was asked about Jonathan Taylor and Chris Ballard was asked about the decision for Jonathan Taylor to go on the pup list. Now, Jimmy, we know this, okay? Present to me the scenarios of the different options they had of what they could have done with Jonathan Taylor 72 hours ago. They could have traded him. Okay. They could have activated him off the pup and had him ready to play for them. Right. Or they could have chosen to do what they ultimately did, which is leave him on the pup knowing he's going to miss the first four games of the season. Okay, so by missing the first four games of the season and by putting him on pup, automatically the question becomes does Jonathan Taylor really have an injury? Okay? Now, here's Chris Ballard on why the decision to put Jonathan Taylor on pup. We're not going to put a player on the field that's still complaining of pain in the ankle. We're not going to do that. An injury. I wouldn't do that to any player. Wouldn't treat anybody any differently. So what Jonathan will do is he will rehab his butt off and try to get himself ready to go. Okay. Does he mean ready to go to Miami or Green Bay? Or what does he mean he's getting ready to go for? Because this is still operating underneath the assumption, just like with Jim Mercer's comments a couple weeks ago, that everything's fine and dandy with Jonathan Taylor and he's committed to the team once again. That his holdout is over and he's ready to go out there and be a part of this team. Okay, here's the thing. I think he means ready to go here. No, I, 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 I think I Chris Ballard. Coy, but yes, I think Chris Ballard is speaking in terms of Jonathan Taylor. Uh, of that, you ever you ever had gone through a breakup? Sure. Okay. When you go through a breakup, there's always one side of the breakup that is like, no, 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 it, it's over. And there's one side of the breakup that's like, no, I, I really do think that like we can work this out. And the person that thinks they can still work it out is like talking to their friends and trying to talk to friends of the, the person that, that's breaking up with them, looking for glimmers of hope. Well, she did say that, that you know, I mean, I, she's going to let me come over and pick my stuff up. So, like, she does, she does want to see me. I, I really do think so. And all the friends are like, <clears throat> no, I, I think it – it probably is over. I, I I don't know. I, and and they're trying to be supportive, but at the same time, they're like, I, I think it's probably time to move on and start seeing other people. It, there is an extent of Chris Ballard that feel that that's what it feels like. He's like, no, no, no. We can still work this out. And Jonathan Taylor and his representatives are like, no, it's over. We, we it's over. But two things here. When he says, I'm not going to put a player out there who's complaining of pain. Isn't that Jonathan Taylor's entire argument, allegedly? Aside from the extension, isn't Jonathan Taylor under the impression that he was asked to perform duties with the sore ankle that he didn't want to perform? 
I think that's part of it. I think the other half of that equation, though, is that he is fearful for himself and other running backs with the amount of pressure they put on their bodies and no long-term security or lack of guaranteed money no, to the totally point get that, that re-injury could occur. I think totally it's both points. Totally yes. get that. And I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination, I'm not accusing Chris Ballard of intentional negligence with an injury. Right. I'm, I'm not. But what he just said right there totally checkmated himself. Unless it was by design to basically say, right there in that comment, Chris Ballard essentially, he didn't take Jonathan Taylor off the trade market, but he took away any leverage he had in trading him. Yeah. If I'm the Miami Dolphins, if I'm the mystery team, the Green Bay Packers, which I don't think mystery team, I don't think that, there's not a bunch of guys driving around in a green van with a dog in the back, right, that, that are looking for Jonathan Taylor. But if you're any of those teams, you're, you're, matter of fact, his phone might be ringing louder now. Maybe that's why he did it. Maybe that's why he did it because his phone is now going to ring even louder because teams are going to call and be like, wait a minute. Like, you've got a guy that by your own admission, you have no idea how he's still hurt. You're telling me he's still hurt and he's on the pup list. So not only are you asking me to trade for a guy that can't play for four games, but you're asking me to trade for a guy whose ankle is still bothering him. A two to four week procedure has turned into like two to four quartiles. But Jake, everybody's different. Everybody's, uh, di- everybody's different. Of course. I mean... You got that later within the press conference. Some people repair faster than others. Well, do. there is actually some truth to that. But my point being, I would think a two to six week. My timeline. point being, he took any leverage from himself away. So now teams. Sure. So maybe he did it intentionally so that teams would finally go. All right, fine, we'll we'll do this. But he ain't going to get anything for him at this point. He has no, he has no intention of trading Jonathan Taylor. I agree with that, and it's revealed in my mind. He can't have any intention to to get, let me let me rephrase it, Jimmy. He can't have any intention of trading him for value because he took the value away yesterday. That too, but also even if he did have perceived value, his price point is clearly too large that he thinks he's going to get a serious offer from the NFL. How the Colts are going to proceed with this, barring an offer that really blows the door off them, was revealed in his opening statement. Quote. But what I'm going to tell you is Jonathan is valuable. And at the end of the day, I'm not just going to let him walk out the door. What that means to me is twofold. One, barring a high-level offer that satisfied Chris Ballard, Jim Irsay, and the rest of the Colts, he is not getting moved this year. And if he does play it out and decides he wants to earn himself a contract, which so many people have argued him to do, but I've continued to spout that he can try to do that. He's just going to wind up getting tagged and then maybe traded elsewhere. He's never going to get free agency as a Colt. He might get it somewhere else. It's not going to happen here. Correct. I would agree. They're with not that. letting him walk out the door for nothing. And I, I don't blame him, but that that's the play. The play is to let him go. If he wants to play this year, great. They'll welcome him. And if he has a great year, perhaps they can have contract negotiations, but the tag is a weapon. It's there for organizations to use in these situations. Jonathan Taylor will never reach free agency as an Indianapolis Colt. My thought is this on Ballard yesterday. For the first 80% of his career here, Chris Ballard entered every press conference under the aura that he is the smartest guy in the room. He acts that way. He sounds that way. He looks that way. He talks that way. And he belittles that way. Used to. Then he realized one day that the team he built sucks. 
and he had to start it over and everybody in town was losing interest and becoming essentially you know just not fed up people are still going to go he knows that but he goes out and he drafts a quarterback with huge upside and people are excited again and I give him credit for that for for saying for having the humility last year at the end of the year he finally changed and he showed humility and now yesterday I thought Chris Ballard for the most part was the most well-intended person in the room and that well, that that good intention and that honesty and transparency, which I think comes from the humility of the way he acted the first eighty percent of the time that he was here, in combination with the fact he had to realize that his team won four games with the players that he believed in, then backed him into a corner where he finally said, "Okay, guys, I will be totally transparent and tell you exactly what I'm thinking." And while it's appreciated, it then took leverage and power away from him. Is there a curve on how much credit he deserves? for that change given the fact that in my mind he had no other options it was either adapt or die effectively like if he continued to go down that same path of being the smartest in the room or building this roster the way that he was patchwork banded after patchwork band-aid that eventually he was going to be sent out of town that that's a very fair point i mean that's a that's a very astute observation and the answer in principle is yes there is a curve there because he was the last to see that, right? Sure. But then again, only he knows the relationship he has with the owner, so he he didn't have to be the first to see it, right? Right. He had to he had to come to that epiphany on his own timeline, which he did. For me personally, being somebody that's essentially in his same age group, I, I will always commend somebody for when, no matter how late it is in life, they realize what they have to do for betterment. And and he, I think that he, I will give him that. But I do think that in doing so, what he did was illuminated areas that took leverage away f- from himself. And that's the, the conundrum that they're in. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Football is so back. All the contract negotiations, all the press conference, whatever we want to fight or bicker about, we can watch football, college or NFL, every weekend from now until February. It's a beautiful thing. Kevin Bowen, nice enough to take some time with us, as he always does. You can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070 here on Query and Company from the DriveHuber.com studios. Uh, KB, I was talking with the great Eddie Garrison a little bit before the show started. Uh, I understand it's a lengthy Kevin's Corner. You also host the weekly Kevin's Corner podcast. Uh, Record-setting length on Kevin's Corner or not quite that long? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I don't know if it was record-setting, but it certainly was lengthy. I had a little bit of a... I, Hand raise. I had a little bit of a mishap. You know, instead of Jake Funk, I might have said something else. So. Oh, it was great. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely great. So. Did you edit that out, Eddie, or did you leave that in there? Oh, no, it stayed in there. I've been hearing those Freudian slips for 25 years, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, so apologies to my mom and dad for that on that uh, on that one. But, yeah, I feel like, yeah, to, to your point, Jimmy, this is like the last big reset before uh, we actually talk about, you know, football games. Okay, so let's begin with this, Kevin. And I don't know the answer to this, even in the times that you and I did the morning show together. I know that you're obviously happily married and a family man. Did you ever have 
a breakup with a girlfriend like in high school or college. By the way, happy early birthday, Jake. Well, thank you. How, how in the hell did you remember that? That's impressive. My birthday is uh, Sunday. But, you know, 51 is kind of like, you know, I mean, you guys knocked it out of the park for me at 50, Kevin. So uh, Shannon and I are going to Modern English at High Fight tonight and going and getting a burger at whatever that place is called, Kumas or whatever, and that's how Kuma. we're celebrating. Yeah, our, her birthday was Tuesday. So, uh, so nice. our combined birthday party is metal rock and a burger at Kumas <laughs> and then watching Modern English at Hi-Fi. This is what yeah, you have to literally. look forward to. Heavy metal times to celebrate fifty one. Um, yeah, yeah, I have, I have had some breakups. I haven't, yeah, I haven't given them too much thought lately. But yeah, uh, okay, certainly, yeah. During those one, in, in, in just pick one off the top of your head. You don't have to say any names, but there's always one of two people in the breakup that is kind of grasping at straws and like calling friends and analyzing what was said last and looking for a positive of a glimmer of hope that maybe this is still going to work out. And then there's the other one that they have no idea has actually been on Tinder for a month. And that feels like where we are right now. It feels like Chris Ballard thinks maybe there's a chance and Jonathan Taylor actually has been on Craigslist personals since like early, you know, May. Am I wrong? (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I think there is some truth to that uh, Jake Query analogy there, which was certainly brought me back to some, some memories here recently. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of truth. Obviously, unlike relationships via Tinder, it's not like you can just say, if you're Taylor at least, you can't just say, see ya, and no, I'm I never understand. coming back. There are some ramifications and some consequences for that, but... Yeah, I mean, Ballard, there's part of me that's like, boy, he's going to try and mend it. He's going to try and calm the waters. He thinks it can be repaired. And then, boy, I I just think Taylor's side looks at it totally differently. But again, Taylor's side, if you're going to take that route, um, there are major consequences for going down that path here. So I I don't see anything happening quickly. I don't think any sort of resolution is all of a sudden going to be at a snap of the fingers here. Some side's got to give. And... The fact that this continues to play out in September, I think, might be the biggest issue of it all. Um, this is where once Shane Steichen got hired, once Chris Ballard settled into things off-season mode, you know, where was this in March, April, May, June? You know, it, the the fact that it's played out so publicly when you're into practices and now into regular season action, uh, that is a huge, huge issue. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Kev, should Michael Pittman Jr. suddenly get frustrated because he now knows apparently he also won't get a contract extension before next year because the team won four games? Yeah, I think there's a four-win quote, Jimmy, but... I. I I like Michael Pittman a lot. I think Michael Pittman should be extended, but let's not act like Michael Pittman's had the same start to his NFL career that Jonathan Sure, had. sure, sure. So I, I don't, you know, if the Colts would have gone into this season and said, you know what, we really like Michael Pittman, we want to see him play this season out, I don't think it would have been the end of the world. I mean, when you compare, again, the guys like Nelson, Braden Smith, Leonard, some other guys that have gotten extensions, I, I don't think Pittman is – no, and Pittman is not at the level that those guys were at through their first you know, three seasons, four seasons of their respective careers. Now, you know, to the four-win comment, I mean, if you go 4-12-1 this year, does that mean that Grover Stewart, Jonathan Taylor, and Michael Pittman are all free agents next year? They don't get extensions and they're all gone? 
Like, that one doesn't really add up. And I don't know, maybe if that was just Ballard in a moment where he got pressed and, and he didn't really, whatever, think that one through. But um, I don't think that needs to be, like, the end-all, be-all of, like, team success dictates individual futures. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's that that of a black-and-white sort of term. Kevin, yesterday I thought, and I want your, your thought on this, I commend Chris Ballard for what I think was his – not, not, I mean, that, that sounds kind of silly. I commend Chris Ballard for, I think, being as honest as, as he could be, to be honest with you. And when he was talking about Taylor and, you know, he's like, and why he went on pup, I have no idea the legitimacy of that ankle injury, but I've got to believe Chris Ballard because I think he was pretty upfront just about his frustrations of the whole situation. Now, having said all of that, Ballard took trade leverage away from himself, which in fact devalued Jonathan Taylor by saying, look, he still has ankle issues. Well, if that's the case, then why, why would any team at this point trade for a guy that not only has to set out four games, but we haven't seen him on a practice field and he's allegedly complaining of ankle pain. So I get that, that Chris Ballard has now taken away any sort of leverage from Taylor's standpoint of getting paid elsewhere if a team was willing to trade and extend him. But at the same time, he's also taken leverage away from what anybody's willing to give him as the general manager if, in fact, they decide that they've got to trade him. Did they? Did he overstep himself in that transparency? Well, I think it's a very he said, she said sort of thing. How hurt is Jonathan Taylor? Like, that is the unknown in all of this. Again, according to Taylor, or according to uh, Ballard, he is hurt. You know, he's that's why he's on pup, and he's still feeling ankle pain. He's got discomfort and all the other little phrases that he said. I think if you, you would depress uh, anonymous sources um, within the Colts building, maybe the highest up in that building, they might say differently about their opinion, anonymous, anonymously about the Taylor situation. And then if a Miami trade were to get to the goal line and all of a sudden Miami says, hey, Jonathan Taylor, come do a physical for us, uh, that Taylor might look a lot different from a health standpoint. So that's where it's just beyond confusing about the conflicting nature to what we've had from a Taylor standpoint. That's why I'd like to hear from Taylor and get his side of it physically because um, he's the only one that can truly tell us, a guy that is extremely sensitive about his body, where he feels and how he feels and and all of those things. Um, And and I would guess – I would add this as well, just from a, you know, Taylor from a health standpoint. There had to be part of Taylor, I think, watching that press conference yesterday when saying Jonathan or Ballard echoed some sort of phrase of like, you know, I don't put guys out there that are 100% and we don't play guys that aren't 100%. Clearly, there were times last year Jonathan Taylor played football games at less than 100%. So if you're Taylor and you're his camp, you're saying, wait a minute. Last year during an extremely trying season, as you benched quarterbacks and had all this chaos, the offensive line was wilting, you know, you hired a guy out of a out of a TV, you know, studio to become the interim head coach. You know, my client was playing at less than hundred percent. And now all of a sudden you're saying, Well, we don't put guys on the field that are less than hundred percent. Like that to me doesn't add up. Shaquille Leonard situation. I mean, they shut him down. So that is one where I think if you're the Taylor camp, you can look at those comments yesterday in regards to his health and saying, why am I not not being acknowledged more for what I did for the football team in in gutting it out last year? Kevin Bowen with us. You hear him 7 to 10 a.m. on these very airways with the wake-up call with KB and Andy. You can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. 
KB, all jokes aside about three wide receivers not really being enough for the development of a young quarterback, Chris Ballard said yesterday during his press conference that they'll get it figured out, they'll get everything rounded out. I know you and I are in the camp of, well, you know, there are probably opportunities to get this figured out earlier in the offseason, but nevertheless, that's where they're at. As you look at where the roster stands, how much wiggle room is there to add to that wide receiver room and which area is most likely to get impacted if they do add, let's say, two wide receivers to this room? Well, I'd be surprised if they added two. I mean, they've got five on the practice squad. That's five of your 17 guys in the practice squad are wideouts. It's obviously a huge number. Um, Chris Ballard typically has looked at the practice squad as just kind of an extension of the active roster. So I think he'll just dip into that. I mean, I know they made one waiver claim for a wideout. That guy went to Arizona. I mean, I, I guess you could add a body here in the next week or so, but I don't think we'll see too much, honestly, from an activity standpoint. And I think there's, there's a little bit of a misconception on, like, how much a fifth wideout means. I mean, think about in if Ashton Doolin was healthy. He'd be your fifth wideout. But, I mean, Michael Pittman's going to play 95% of the snaps. Alec Pierce is probably going to play a high, high percentage. And then Downs and Isaiah, Isaiah McKenzie would be your other guys. It's more of, like, emergence not emergency but it's like it's insurance for if Pittman or Pierce were to go down I, I think that's where you're really really lacking right now if one of those two were to go down like just purely quantity or quality standpoint you'd be in major scramble mode in terms of you know what you'd be giving Anthony Richardson so I think that's where you're at I, I know a lot of people you know made a ton of oh my gosh they've got three wideouts on their roster right now to me that had less to do with like oh this is a new phenomenon to be like where have you been for the last couple of years? I mean, whiteout issues have always been an issue. If it's not quantity, it's more of just quality. Uh, how many times have you ever walked into a game and said, man, the Colts have got the superior whiteout group in this game? Like, that has not been a common theme at all for the Colts here in the past. You can go back to you know, 2019, 20, 2020. I mean, that is not something that has been the norm at all. So, yeah, they got wiggle room certainly to add if they would like. But, again, I think they'll probably rely – a lot of my practice squad. Kevin, a year ago, the Philadelphia Eagles had three receivers, three, that had more than 20 catches in total for the season. Obviously, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, right? And then Watkins had 23. After that, it was running backs and tight ends. Zach Pascal had a couple catches. But I guess my question for you, because I don't necessarily pay it this nuanced around the league, is that indicative of, say, Shane Steichen's offense that comes here, or is that kind of the norm no matter what team you were to look at on throughout the league? Good question. I I don't know if I could say it's the norm, Jake. I mean, obviously when you look at Philly last year, they did rotate a lot of running backs, as you mentioned, and then tight end-wise, um, they probably have one of the deeper slash better tight end groups in the league, and then certainly Hurts you know, does some things with his legs. So, I, again, I think it's hard to get, like, really deep into a fourth or a fifth wideout. I mean, Philly has arguably the best duo of wideouts in the league. A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are going to dominate the amount of targets with that group. Um, whereas the Colts, I don't think Pittman and Pierce, you would look at it in that range. Like, I would guess if you look at the top three pass catchers for the Colts this season versus the Eagles – Yes, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Quez Watkins, like it's probably going to be the same sort of 
discrepancy it was or difference it was last year, but for the Colts, I would think Josh Downs is going to be much, much closer to Pittman and Pierce than, I mean, hell. Yeah, you, because be Paris Campbell last year, Pierce. I mean, Kevin, Paris Campbell last year, just to look at it, he had 63 receptions. That was second on the team behind Pittman and Pierce. Those are the three that were over 20 receptions, and but it's for the Colts last year, it was receiver, 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 top three, then tied in, tied in, tied in, running back, then receiver again with Ashton Doolin. So I, I guess numerically speaking, it's about the same, but clearly, and that was last year with a guy that couldn't throw the ball over seven yards uh, as a statue and rotation of quarterbacks back there, they did go receiver heavy in terms of their ball movement attempts, if that makes sense. You know, How many catches did, 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 do you have in front of you? How many catches did Pierce have last year? Uh, Pierce had 41. Yeah, so that's what, two a game. Yeah, And again, probably to, to your point, it's more of an indictment of where you're at quarterback And they're going to need – clearly Pierce needs to make a step this year, clearly. Yeah, he, he does. He does. The thing about Pierce is, you know, he, again, he can offer that, some of that big play potential, but if you're going to be a number two wide out and the tight end group is unproven and the running back position is where it's at, you, you need to become much more consistent in other areas. And then Downs. I mean, I think Downs could and should be kind of a three- to four-catch guy per game, which for a rookie, that's a big number. I, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, three to four catches, but that's a lot when you consider rookies. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're Pittman – expect you know double-digit targets I would think every game is it weird to come into work now and actually have a game plan oh I feel like we've got a Super Bowl game plan compared to what we had (laughs) yeah Uh yeah the previous morning show it was like we were getting ready for like a jamboree back in junior high and now I feel like I'm walking into like I don't know I've got I've got Lombardi walking into Super Bowl one here. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I was going to say Jimmy, now, would, Jimmy, would you say preparations through the roof here lately? It is nose to the grindstone, twenty four seven, three sixty five. KB, oh man, you guys are killing me. You make it sound like I'm a slacker. Would you say that I'm a slacker? Is that what we're saying, Kev? No, I, yeah, slacker is, has a very negative connotation with it. I would just say that preparation is not something that you feel is necessary, which. Again, if I had your brain, the filing cabinet, I, I probably would tend to dip my toes into that water more and more. <laughs> Are you trying to say that Jake does not believe the separation is in the preparation? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yeah, is that a Shane Stein That is a Shane Stein yeah. quote, it is, yep. Yeah, yeah, I, I would, yes, I, I think that's an accurate statement. The boss is on vacation this week, and I hope he is not listening to air checks today. That's all I got to say, right? Um, okay, Kevin, last question for you from my standpoint. You know, we have made so much about this situation with Taylor I get it and the receiver room I mean those two things um give me now that the roster is set you know like Darius Rush was a guy that at the beginning of camp people were very high on him and then he ends up you you know I mean obviously now he's not even here give me a guy that when we were first showing up at Grand Park in Westfield you didn't even think twice about that you looked at the final roster and went, you know what, he did have a good camp, and that's a guy that might contribute this year that I never would have anticipated. And also a unit that might be better or an area that might be better than people think. So two two answers there. Well, I'd say a name that he's not a starter, but you're just kind of one injury away, and that would be on the offensive line, Arlington Hambright. Um, he's a former seventh-round pick of the Bears. Hasn't played since 2020, but he had some versatility in camp, left tackle, some right guard. You know, you, you know how valuable those guys can be, particularly on game day. So I would label him a position that's a little deeper than I thought. Um, 
maybe tight end. I mean, the fact that I, I, I know you're banged up right now, but like, I mean, Jelani Woods on IR and is going to miss the first four games. But I thought Kylan Granson, Drew Ogletree, and Will Mallory when they were out there. I thought all those guys and Granson was available pretty much every day. All those guys had some moments. I think that was a group that. It was more of just like who's going to make the team was I think the question entering camp and now I'm like I think there's some real like quality depth within that room so I would say that yeah I'd say that position corner is one that I still need to see it when they go up against a real wideout but there were certainly some moments in camp and this goes into Darius Rush where a guy like Jalen Jones the seventh round pick looked really really good now granted. He's facing arguably one of the worst wideout groups in the league, in my opinion. So that probably plays into it a, a bit. So, yeah, I'd say tight end or corner. Kev, I feel like we already knew the answer to this from the moment that it was Ballard that was the last man standing of the previous regime, and now it's him and Steichen paired together with Anthony Richardson. But Jake mentioned his candid nature and a certain level of I don't know if I'll go full-scale transparency, but he felt different yesterday than he did in previous press conferences. Um, Do you feel like there is ultimate security around him, at least in terms of getting a chance to develop AR? Like multiple seasons, not just one year. Like we're talking at least a two-year window for him to kind of reset things and reorganize around the Colts? Yeah, I think that's a fair bet. Um, you know, as much as some people would want to disagree with that, I, I think that's probably the reality of the situation because I think something you have to worry about, and this is more of a Jim Ursay worry because he's kind of put his organization into this position. But I mean, if you fire Chris Bowden after the season, that means a new GM walks in the building and the new GM says, I didn't hire that head coach, I didn't draft that quarterback. And now all of a sudden, they are in a bit of a lame duck situation. You know, it, Brought up, I, I never understood why Ryan Grigson was fired the year before Chuck Pagano and Chris Bauer had that awkward one season with, with Chuck. You know, it, it, it was delaying the inevitable. That's not happening here, I don't think. But it, it's very rare in the NFL, I feel like, for a new GM to walk in and say, oh, yeah, I'll take that head coach and I'll take that quarterback and I'll whatever. I'll continue to ride with it. I'll continue to support them. And, and, and they're my only kind of hope, necessarily. I, I, I'm not going to get a second chance. I know Chicago's dealing with some of that right now. You know, Eberflus and Ryan Poles, like they didn't make the selection there of Justin Fields. So um, if I were a betting man, I would say Chris Ballard has a a couple of more years at this, certainly. Uh, Yeah, I thought there was no question when they drafted Anthony Richardson that what they should have said at the podium was the Indianapolis Colts select – Anthony Richardson, quarterback, University of Florida, and four more years for Chris Ballard. They, they literally came <laughs> hand in hand. I mean, to, to use the Jim Irsay line with Ryan Grigson and Chuck Pagano, they're attached at the hip. Richardson and Ballard's tenure seemingly are attached at the hip. And if it goes well, kudos to Chris Ballard. Kevin, what do you guys have going on tomorrow on the program? Yeah, we're going to do our normal uh, Friday routine. So that would be Greg Rakestraw and Matt. Taylor, I think, I hope. We won't have to dominate the conversation with Jonathan Taylor. Um, and look ahead to uh, Purdue and IU getting things underway uh, tomorrow or, I guess, Saturday afternoon. I don't know if you heard this or not, Kevin, but I had mentioned Indiana going to shock the world. October 14th, they're going to win at Michigan. Mark my words. Really? Lock of the, week, lock of the year. Never, been, I've never been more sure about anything in my life. Now, was I've, this when you said last year that Ohio State was a lock to win the national title? And football, and that, and that—is this that same lock? Boy, I, I've never been happier about being wrong about something in my life than I was with that. 
Ohio State looked pretty you good. You got to admit. Can you get the money line on IU Michigan? I tried to look for anything on it. I can't couldn't find anything. Thirty point spread. I mean, Ohio State's a 20, 29 and a half point favorite at on the road. I would think that Michigan at home would be. Here's at least the thing. 30. Here's the thing. If you actually right now go on any of the devices to try to place a money line wager in August on Indiana to win at Michigan in October, it triggers your phone towards several therapeutic emails that you get from both a counseling and like rehabilitation standpoint. I can assure you. But that said, is this coming? from the guy that bet on a long snapper to win Super Bowl MVP this past February? Kevin, it's all about return on investment, brother. Now, it didn't work out, I, but a dollar to pay like 1500 bucks. Why not? Why not, right? It's like buying a Powerball ticket. Why not? I'm telling you, you mark my words. So you got better you got, Listen, you guys here on October 15th, on October 15th, when when you are thinking to yourself, I could have put down $2 back in August if I'd listened to Jake and bought a plane ticket to whatever tropical paradise I'd like for a weekend of PTO in January, but I didn't do it because I didn't believe that the Indiana Fighting Hoosiers would go up there and stun 108,000 people with an average age of 108 amongst them. I'm telling you right now, Indiana wins at Michigan. That, just Kevin, book it. Lock it. There you go. There's your... There's Max's college fund right there. I was going to say, 529s have been tripled after, after hearing that news. That's right. All right, have fun in the morning. Happy birthday. Thank you, Kevin Bowen. Now, Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Eddie, you were just telling me that again. Let me let me write this down. Can you read? Can you say that to me, please? So our conversation right now with Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, is yep. brought to you by Shelby Materials, the, the concrete, concrete and aggregate experts. Mm-hmm. Matt, did I get that right? The concrete and aggregate experts, and Shelby aggregate Materials, experts. bring us Matt Taylor, and that's Shelby Materials, right? Yes, sir. The concrete and aggregate experts, Shelby Material. Matt, how much aggregation do you, do you do yearly? Would you say? Uh, you know what I am. I am a you know just like Shelby Materials. I'm an expert at aggregating. Um, you know, I've aggregated my garage floor. I've aggregated my kitchen sink. I've aggregated uh, you know my TV. I'm not even sure what aggregation is. You were using Shelby but, uh, Materials while doing it, though, Matt. Right? That's that's right. Of if course. I needed to aggregate anything, I would call myself and the experts at, at Shelby Material. You know what Absolutely. one of the key ingredients is in concrete? Uh, would be, I don't know, water maybe? Well, that would be cement, and which now the Colts roster is at least for the time being cemented. We know that much yesterday, or you know, Chris Ballard talking about it. Matt, we've talked so much about Jonathan Taylor. I'm not going to put you in that position to do that as the voice of the Colts. So let's focus on the guys, and I mean that as no disrespect to the talent of Jonathan Taylor, but let's focus on the guys whose names you're going to be calling here for the first four games. Um, What jumped out at you when the roster was completed and you looked over it? Give me a name that when you looked over the roster, you thought to yourself, that makes sense because... I hadn't necessarily heard of that guy, say, a year ago, but I called his name an awful lot in the preseason, and that guy flat out earned his spot. Hmm, good question, good question. Although, admittedly, um, in the trenches, you're not necessarily calling guys' names. I get it. Yeah, I mean, I think I, that's probably a good place to start. I mean, just kind of from a roster mechanic standpoint, I would guess just a little bit surprised that you're keeping 
you know, six defensive tackles, at least initially. Um, and, you know, I thought, you know, a couple of waiver claims would happen yesterday, and that might be one of those areas on the roster that you might rob from, if you will, to maybe, you know, add an extra receiver or an extra offensive lineman. Just because I think it's going to be tough, you know, on a given Sunday to play with six defensive tackles. I mean, not not six defensive tackles will see action in an NFL game, right? I mean, especially when you have two guys that you rarely want to take off the field, you know, not for more than just a couple plays here and there for for a breather in Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner. Um, and I was I was surprised, maybe surprised is not the right word, but just the fact that they kept five tight ends initially, you know, I think they kind of had the idea in the back of their mind that we're going to have to place Jelani Woods on IR, but he needs to make our roster so that he can come back when he's healthy after four games. Um, you know, Will Mallory's probably a guy that had the Colts cut him initially, you know, waived him and, and subjected him to waivers across the NFL. He was probably a guy that they weren't going to get back. You know, he's a draft pick. Um, and I know Darius Rush didn't come back either, but I thought Will Mallory showed some really good things towards the end of training camp. Uh, you know, I know a lot of other teams were high on him in the draft, and so had the Colts cut him loose or waived him, he was probably the guy they weren't going to get back on the practice squad, which kind of you know lumped into their decision from a roster mechanic standpoint to, to keep him. Um, and just the fact that and you guys, I know, I'm sure you've you've talked about this uh, inevitably, but the fact that you know initially only four receivers make the roster. And I thought, all right, you know, it's it's tough to kind of figure out who emerged of that group of Jawan Winfrey and Brashad Perriman and Mike Strawn and Amari Rogers, so on and so forth. But the fact that they just didn't keep any of them, at least for a day, you know, like you have a stay of execution for at least a day before we go out and make some other moves on the waiver wire. The fact that they didn't keep anybody as a fifth receiver was a little bit surprising. Um, but, you know, Chris Ballard said yesterday, this is fluid. We're working through a lot of stuff, and I, I still suspect there's going to be a lot more movement between now and, and next Sunday when the Colts play the Jags. And to be fair, Matt, we've seen this in the past. Can't they always just ele- – if need be, can't they just elevate off the practice squad a receiver each weekend and then go back to the practice squad and maneuver there? I mean, that's not unprecedented, right? Well, they can, and you're, you're exactly right. They can, and they do have a lot of options. I mean, right now they have five receivers on their practice squad. So I know that, again, raises the question from, from some of the fan base. Like, why why wouldn't at least one of those guys be on the active roster? And I think it's it speaks to, you know, your point there. The, the only thing that is a little bit of a hiccup in, in that thought is that you know, if you bring in that fifth receiver, and let's say it's, you know, Amari Rogers, or it's well, let's just use Rodgers because he does have returnability, right? He's got some speed and can play on special teams in the return game. If you if you want to use him in that capacity or if you bring him up to the active roster with that in mind, you can only do that three times. He can only come off the practice squad to the active roster three times before you have to make a decision on him, either to you know, have him be on your active roster for the rest of the year or you have to, to cut him. So that's a little bit of a wrinkle into it. Um, but the Colts do have a lot of options, so they can, let's say, take receiver one one week, uh, or the, you know the first three weeks, and then move on to receiver two, or you know kind of sprinkle it and 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 you know have it be a variety of guys that are up one week and not you know on the practice squad the next week. So it, it is kind of confusing, 
And it's, you know, the Colts obviously in, in a lot of flux with, with several different positions on their roster going into the season. You know, offensive lines in flux. We talked about receiver. I still think running backs in flux. You know, the Colts are still continuing to look and see, you know, what might be available to them around the NFL. Just considering Zach Moss's injury and if, if he's, you know, is he 100% healthy after that broken arm back in early August? You know, you just don't know. So um, there's a lot of things I think the Colts are working through right now to seeing, hey, can we get 1% better at some of these other positions that got cut around the NFL? Are they just marginally better than what we have right now to give us that slight edge going into games? Voice the Colts, Matt Taylor with us on Query and Company. Matt, when you look at the 53-man Let's go non-JT, non-Anthony Richardson division. Who has the most to prove this season, both whether it's long-term future with the Colts or just life in the NFL in general? Who has the biggest opportunity to prove something this year? Man, you guys are coming with the tough ones. Oh, man, put me on the spot. You know, I, I would say it's... I would just say it's a big year for, you know, across the board, that entire offensive line, right? I mean, I know those guys have a big chip on their shoulder after what happened to him last year or collectively, you know, just the output they displayed with 60 sacks allowed and all the quarterback pressures and all that stuff. And, you know, kind of taking a big step back in the running game. I just think Tony Sperano's come in and I think he has to, to some degree simplified some things. I think the communication's better, but I just think there's just too much talent across the board there for them to have back-to-back, you know, down years or subpar years based on the talent and, quite frankly, you know, the, the money and the investment that the Colts have with those, you know, five starting offensive linemen. And I think you got to lump Bernard Ryman into that as well. I think you have four really above-average offensive linemen. We'll see with Will Fries, right, because this is going to be the first year that he's – I know he started games last year, but the first year, like, he's the guy at right guard and – I think he's able to kind of take some steps. But Ryman looks the part. I mean, he looked really, really good in the offseason, really, really good in training camp, uh, and certainly in those preseason games. He's bigger. I just think his confidence right now is through the roof. I just think he's in a really, really good spot. Um, So I think Anthony Richardson's going to help tremendously in the RPO game, the running game. Um, I mean, I think the sacks are going to be down – certainly because of his mobility, right? He's not a statue quarterback back there. I mean, we saw in the preseason, you know, he turned like what should have been a sack, you know, a five-yard loss into a 15-yard gain in a first down. So I think just his uh, ability in the backfield is going to help that offensive line with some of their struggles last year. But, you know, again, you know, we, we kind of talked about this earlier this week, myself and, and Rick Venturi on our, on our podcast. You know, there's, there's just certain things – going into every NFL season that you just don't know until you play a regular season game because the intensity ramps up, the sophistication ramps up, it's full contact, it's full go, right? Quarterbacks are in red jerseys. You're going to see blitzes. You're going to see stunts. It, it, everything is for real, right? And so, like, you go back to last year, the Colts had a very clean training camp, right? They were healthy, uh, Matt Ryan looked really, really good. The defense looked really, really good. I mean, they got everything out of training camp that they were supposed to, and still it led to a slow start, right? You tie the, the Texans, you get blown out by the Jaguars. No one really saw, based on how the preseason went, no one really saw 4-12-1 coming. So it's just one of those things that 
you know, the offensive line looks good right now, but until you play a regular season game, there's always going to be this like degree of uncertainty and unknown. It's like Christmas Day where you unwrap all your toys, you see how good they are, you see how they perform, and you say, all right, this group is ahead of schedule, and they're kind of where we thought they were going to be, and then this group where we thought they were really solid, maybe we got more work to do. So that's just the nature of the business going into the regular season. Matt, in terms of other teams in the division, I, you know, it's interesting. It's an interesting division because it appears as though Jacksonville's ready to take another step. And then you have Houston, Tennessee's kind of a wild card, and Indianapolis and Houston obviously are kind of starting all over again. But if you were the coaching staff of one of those three other teams, what's the area of the Colts that you are basically licking your chops to exploit? The area that is the one that is keeping Chris Ballard up at night because it's like, man, that's where we are the most susceptible. Not named Anthony Richardson since that's the unknown. Well, I think, you know, on both sides of the ball, if you start on offense, you know, it kind of piggybacks off of what I just said. The offensive line is really, really good and above average with their starters. I was going to say, as long as they Uh, stay healthy, right? Yeah, health is going to be huge right there. I mean, I know that's something you can't control, but, you know, I I think that has to mean if if I am – if I'm a a defensive coordinator and I see, you know, Ryan Kelly out or if I see Braden Smith out, I mean, you look at – the five backup offensive linemen for the Colts, four of them have never played a regular season game in the NFL. Now, they got a couple of rookies. You know, I know they, they signed a rookie yesterday uh, off of waivers. They brought in Blake Freeland in the draft. There's nothing you can do about that. Just because you have inexperience doesn't mean that you're not going to pan out in the NFL, right? You have to I mean, Chris Ballard said it yesterday. You have to become veterans somehow some way i mean it's that old adage when you're looking for a job like how do i get experience you're looking for experience how do i get experience if you're not going to give me experience right so that that's that's kind of the the chicken and the egg thing there with the colts offensive line but that's the reality of it right they've got a lot of youth and a lot of inexperience backing up their starting core up front and then defensively i would say just their ability to rush and cover and i think those two things obviously go hand in hand and you know, last year the Colts had 44 sacks, which was a really good number, right? Second most uh, amount of sacks in franchise history, most for the franchise since 2005, but were they the most, you know, timely sacks? Did they come at the best parts of the game where they were changing the game and forcing strip sacks and, you know, getting a team off the field inside the red zone? Like, they, it was a, it's a good number but it obviously didn't help them win a lot of football games last year, right? You get what I'm saying. And so I want to see Quiddy Pay and Dio Dengbo take those next steps in year number three, and th- this team needs them to. They need both of those players to turn into double-digit sack guys for the health of the pass rush, and the pass rush has to help the young secondary cover and hold up and, and be viable when you're talking about Daryl Baker Jr. and – you know, Dallas Flowers and, you know, Kenny Moore is back there, but Jalen Jones is going to have, you know, he's going to play a role inevitably in the secondary this year. And then you've got, you know, again, Nick Cross, he's going to be a versatile player as a safety. He can play some nickel if they need him to, but there's just a lot of youth. And again, kind of going along with the offensive line depth, there's some inexperience there. So you want to do what you can up front to help those guys in coverage. Maybe play some more press man-to-man on the outside, 
you know, don't let a quarterback get to the, 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 you know, the climax of his drop on a three-step drop or a five-step drop and know where to go with the football right away because the guy's open. So I think rush and cover are, you know, those are two, my two biggest things on defense that I'm going to be worried about or most anticipating seeing coming up in week number one to see how those two elements on defense complement one another. Voice. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Colts' Matt Taylor with us. Matt, we know the John Taylor situation is what it is. We know it's a prove-it year for the offensive line, and you could argue a prove-it year for some of the wide receiver room that's there right now. When you look at Anthony Richardson and how this is a measurement year for him, all the reps he's going to get, learn from the tape, and try not to make the same mistake twice, where should the curve be in evaluating him? Because I look at Chicago, and I'm still not fully sold on Justin Fields, but despite the fact they were horrendous last year in a lot of areas, they feel like they saw enough from him in a second year that year three is going to be his leap forward. I know we're a year behind that on his calendar for Anthony Richardson, but where is the evaluation bar for him given what's on the roster right now in terms of uncertainty? Yeah, I mean, to me, and you know, this is probably a better question for Shane Steichen, but to me, I just want to see growth week by week, and I want to see you know, the mistakes that he's making in week one and week two. I want to see those eradicated and not show up in weeks eight and nine and so on and so forth. And just those big areas that we use to evaluate quarterbacks, you want to see him improve in those regards as well, right? You got timing, you got accuracy, and you can kind of lump those two things together. It's pocket presence, um, and it's also just kind of like touch and feel and and having a high football IQ. The, the biggest thing for Anthony Richardson this year for me is just to keep the Colts out of bad plays and disastrous plays. You know, he's going to make mistakes. It's going to be up and down, and he's going to have wow moments. There's no question about that. You know, I I agree with what Rick says. He is destined for greatness. It's just a matter of, you know, what that looks like, to what degree, and how soon he can achieve that. But early on, I just want to see him make good decisions and, you know, like keep the Colts out of third and long Uh, Don't force the ball when it shouldn't go into a specific area. You know, for him, what I've seen so far is that things kind of get cloudy for him. When when he struggles in in, in, uh, accuracy, he's the most inaccurate when things kind of get cloudy and the timing of the play is off or he's got somebody in his face. And we saw that in Buffalo, right, with a little hitch in his throw and then it was picked off. You know, it kind of came on a play like that. So I just want to see him, you know, know when to fold him, right, know when to squeeze a ball into a tight area and when not to, not turn the ball inside your own territory, not turn the ball over in the red zone when you're guaranteed at least three points that's going to you know, put you over the top or keep you in a game. So I just want to see those benchmark things from a quarterback. I want to see those things improve steadily week by week with Anthony Richardson, grow in comfort. You know, I think body language is going to tell us a lot, but I don't think there's any sort of like benchmark statistical areas that he has to achieve in order for us to say this is a success or his rookie season was a failure, right? I don't think there's a certain amount of wins. I don't think there's a certain amount of like completion percentage he's got to reach. 
It's just get better every single day. File all of these experiences away in real time. Get better. And I don't think there's any reason why Anthony Richardson can't be the biggest strength of this team on offense. And certainly, I mean, you talk about Jonathan Taylor now that he's not here. Anthony Richardson is the biggest you know, keep you up at night type of a player. If you're a defensive coordinator, a guy that's gonna you're gonna you're gonna be up at at 3 a.m. Uh, if you're a defensive coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars, trying to make sure Anthony Richardson single handedly doesn't wreck the game and single handedly doesn't beat me. Matt, before the season begins, next time we have you on, and I always appreciate your visits. Brought to you by the way by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Um, I'm gonna go through the roster next time we talk to you. And I don't mean this condescendingly at all towards you or the players, but there are some names on there that people are not household names with them just yet that are a little bit tricky. So we're going to get the official Matt Taylor pronunciation <laughs> guide next time. Does that work? All right. I like it. No, right. that's it. That's it. I mean, you you get paid to get the names right. That's so right. Let's do it. All right. Let's we'll do it. do it next time, Matt. I appreciate it. Have a good weekend. All right. Although obviously today's Thursday, but I'm out Friday. So have a good weekend. All right. Oh, man, good for you. Congratulations. Well, I'm off working. I got to go to the IndyCar race. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Well, I'll talk to you guys next week.